0: So we've been working through the spiritual disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. And this week we come to fasting. You'll remember last week we chiefly looked at the Lord's Prayer. We kind of moved a little bit fast through there. But if you turn back to Matthew 6, don't turn there. I said if you turn there, to Matthew 6, midway through the Beatitudes, you find that the same account of the Lord's Prayer that we looked at last week flows straight into Fasting. Jesus moves straight from the Lord's Prayer talking to fasting. He says, uh, talking about fasting, and he says in two short verses this. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fa- that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, some have said when they looked at this, that this is an explicit command. It says when you fast and I can see what they're saying, but I'd like to soften that just a little bit and say, I think Jesus presumes that you're going to fast. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a explicit command, but notice he doesn't say if you fast. He doesn't say that. He says, when you fast, so he's presuming that you will fast, just like when he said, and when you pray, pray like this. And then he gives the Lord's prayer. Then he says, when you fast, fast like this. So just as essential as prayer is, so is fasting to the Christian life. Now this is just one snippet in the the whole picture of fasting. Jesus says these two little things, but he doesn't talk a ton about fasting. So what I figured I would do is I would take a bigger passage in the scriptures that talk about fasting to get a little bit more of an exhaustive approach to what scripture is. But we're just going to look at one sermon on fasting. So people who are used to fasting, this may be a little bit um, basic to them, but to someone who's never fasted before, you need to catch these things if you're going to understand how to fast rightly. So we're going to look this morning at Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58. Turn way back in the Old Testament to the prophets. We're going to look there. We're not going to hit every point, but we are going to look at a, a general outline of what Scripture teaches about fasting by asking, number one, what is fasting? Number two, why might we fast? Three, how to fast? And lastly, number four, we're going to have some warnings about fasting. You can see already that Jesus gives some warnings. When you do this, don't do it like the hypocrites. So there's some warnings that we need to think about before we jump straight into fasting. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 58. We're going to look at verse 1 through 12. I'm going to cut those last two verses off in this chapter because it starts to talk about the Sabbath for a minute. And that's another day, another sermon. (laughs) Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. These are the words of God. Let's give... Attention to them, as the word of God, with reverence and awe. The prophet writes, Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and their and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you seen it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The word of the Lord for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your holy and inspired word, as we do each and every week, Lord, we pray that that same spirit that inspired, that breathed out these words would breathe on us. That you would inspire us, that you would give us hearts that are receptive. But we know that that is the work of the Holy Spirit, to open our hearts. Just as you open the heart of Lydia, Lord, to the gospel, I pray that you would open our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, because we know that in our sin, we could be like the, the Pharisees who see but don't see, but hear and don't hear. Lord, we want to hear, see, feel rightly. We pray that you would speak to us just in that way this morning. Through your word, we pray these things in Christ's name. And amen. Amen. So, what is fasting? Have you ever heard of a story of someone that was injured or disabled in some way? Maybe he was blind or something. And you found that as he had that disability for some time, his other senses started to get exacerbated and more heightened. Maybe he was blind and he couldn't see, but his sense of feeling, his touch, increased. His smell even might have increased. His hearing, he could start to hear from way far off because he can't see anymore, and his senses start to heighten in this area because they're suppressed in another area. There was even a a Marvel comic back in the 1960s where they uh, made a character out of this called Daredevil. I don't know if you've seen it. They made a remake in 2000 uh, about it, but basically there was this superhero who got some toxin, uh, some kind of toxin in his eye, and he became blind But through his blindness, he actually had the superpowers of his other senses being heightened. So he could like hear through walls and all kinds of things like that. And I would like to say that the spiritual discipline of fasting is something like that. Not quite like that. It's not a superpower, but it's something like that. It It mutes our physical perception and consumption in order to give us a better spiritual perception and insight into God. So as we mute one part, another part becomes heightened. So if we mute the physical side for a moment, then the spiritual side starts to rise up and we can get a better sense, a better better spiritual sense of who God is and what he is saying. So a simple definition, if we want to look at fasting, would be something like this. This is just my definition. It's abstaining from a regular good physical thing in order to balance or heighten our spirituality. Let me say that again. Abstaining from a regular, good, physical thing in order to balance or heighten our spirituality. So why do I say regular? Why do I have all these words in here? I want to get precise about that. I say regular because if it's not regular, it's not discipline. There's no element of sacrifice if you're saying, well, I'm going to fast this season uh, caviar. Well, most of you probably don't ever have caviar, so it's not any element of sacrifice. If you're going to say that I'm going to sacrifice I don't know, some kind of delicacy that you would never eat anyway. If you say you're going to fast that, well, that's not a fast. It's something that you regularly participate in that you're withholding from because it's a sacrifice. So it's a regular thing. I say it's a good thing. Why does it need to be a good thing? Well, because you don't fast bad things. You don't fast sin. Right? You can't say, well, I'm, I'm going to fast cheating on my wife uh, this, this season when we're in this season of fasting. That doesn't make any sense. That's just being a faithful Christian. That's being a decent human being. You don't fast a good thing. Uh, Paul says that all things that are given to us are good as if we set them aside in prayer and fasting. So all things are meant to be received that are all things are meant to be received as good but not sin. So you can't say that you're going to fast a sin. You have to fast something that you ordinarily receive as a good thing that the Lord gives us that's a daily part of our life and you give that up and in the absence of that we are filled in our spirit. So we do this because we want to replace or restore balance to our being. Because we are holistic beings, aren't we? You are not just body Newsflash if you didn't know that. You're not just a body. We live like that sometimes. You are not just a materialistic being. You have a spirit. You have a soul that needs attended to. And many times we forget to feed that soul. We hardly ever forget to feed our bodies, do we? Right? We, every morning we eat our breakfast. and Whether you know it or not, you're participating in a break fast even there. Every night when you sleep, that's kind of like a fast. If you didn't know that, that's where that word comes from. Break fast. So we are, we are materialistic, or we're not materialistic beings. We are holistic beings. We are made of spirit. We are made of body. And we need to sometimes pour out a little bit of the material to make room for the spiritual. Now when we do this, though, it's not punishing ourselves. We need to be careful how we think about this because some people think about fasting as this just kind of way that you're being mean to yourself and that's not what it is because fasting isn't, it's not punitive, it's redemptive, It's, it's restorative. So we're not being mean to ourselves, but what we're doing is kind of like the same thing that you do with uh, exercise. You wouldn't say that exercise is discipline, or you wouldn't say that it's punishing yourself. You would say it's disciplining yourself, right? So, th- so it is with the spiritual disciplines. We need to uh, bring a balance that offers good health, not just in our bodies, but in our souls, our spirits as, as well. So indulgence of the flesh will lead us to unhealthy habits, habits that lead us to sin and weakness, So we need to balance that out through the discipline of fasting. So, regular good things, but what kind of good regular things are we going to be fasting from? Well, scripturally, the only real things that you see that people fast from is food and drink. Now, some might make a case that you can fast other things. They'll go to passages like where Paul will say, well, uh, married couples will abstain from marital relations for a while, but really the only context, the proper context of fasting is food and drink but you see different kinds of this in scripture it's not just one thing it's lots of different kinds of food if you look at the different people you've probably heard of things like the daniel fast before or the jesus fast you've heard of these different types of fast you can get a little bit of a picture of what this might look like daniel fasted from the king's delicacies and wine I want you to think about that for a second. Daniel fasted from the king's delicacies and wine. As a side note, can I just say that it would not have been a fast if Daniel wasn't regularly partaking of the king's delicacies and wine. Do you you hear what I'm saying here? Wine is given uh, in Scripture, scripturally speaking, it says in the Psalms that wine is given to gladden the heart. It's a good thing to be received, and if you're regularly partaking of it like Daniel was, you can fast from that. John the Baptist was set apart from his mother's womb not to drink wine or strong drink. And then you see Jesus in his ministry. Some people had something to say about this. They came to Jesus, and the Pharisees came and said to him, For John the Baptist has come uh, come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And Jesus says, You say to him, He has a demon. And then the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say to him, Look at him, a glutton and a friend of tax collectors, a drunkard and a friend of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't, essentially. But what you need to be careful for is that you need to watch out for people who might come to you and say that you can't fast certain things. A Pharisee may come to you and say, well, you can't fast alcohol. Why not? Daniel fasted alcohol, right? So wisdom is justified by her children. There's going to be people who are not approving of your fast, and the reality is, is you have to say, like, Jesus, it's not between you and me. It's between me and God. So you need to be keeping that matter between you and God. Don't keep it flashing around. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't tell everyone what you're doing. You won't have to deal with that as much. But the point is, is you can fast from all kinds of good things. If you're fasting from delicacies, think about that. Those are, those are fancy things. Those are things that you might not ordinarily uh, eat and partake of, but we as Americans, we kind of live like this, don't we? We are very much like Daniel. We eat like kings. We eat like queens. We eat chocolate every day. We have wine. We have alcohol. We have all these things. So there's a real legitimate aspect to us being able to say, like Daniel, I'm going to fast from those things. You can't say that they're sin. They're good things. You can't say chocolate's sin. I will not allow it in this church. We will not say that that is a sin. It's a good thing to be received, but you need to receive it in moderation. That's that's where the fasting comes in. You have to get that balance. You have to figure out how you're going to feed your soul, how you're going to feed your body, and get a good balance. So... Another person we might look at, this is a really great guy, his name's Jesus, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but the way that he fasted was very, very basic. When Jesus fasted, he just fasted food and water, period. He fasted everything. He had no bread, he had no water, and he did this to show us that he's fasting the most basic necessities of life. He's, he's saying, I can get by on, uh, on just a spiritual living. This kind of spiritual food that you don't know about. He fasted from them to show us the ultimate example of fasting. He gave up, the most, gave up the most basic forms of physical sustenance to discipline himself in preparation for ministry. This is what he did. When he was about 30 years old, he was going to enter the ministry, and the Spirit led him out in the wilderness in Matthew 4 to go into the wilderness and prepare himself for ministry. So that brings us to our next question Why might we fast? What what is fasting going to prepare us for? What is this going to help us enter into? Jesus did it to enter into his ministry around the age of 30. But there's other times of fasting too. You don't have to wait until you're 30. Fasting can be done at any time. So we need to ask from our text today, why might we fast? Look with me at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. Here's a a little bit of a motivation that we might want to fast. Verse 8 in Isaiah 58 says... Then, this is after you've done the proper fast, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I don't even really need to say any, anything more, right? I mean, that's a great motivation for us to enter into fasting because it brings spiritual breakthrough you've probably heard this before haven't you fasting brings spiritual breakthrough people get that by looking at this verse in verse 8 then shall your light break forth right you can kind of get that imagery of breakthrough pressing in and entering into this new experience so it also talks about healing and i'd like to take a second just talk about what it means by healing that i do think that this healing is both physical and spiritual You'll hear some people say that it's just a spiritual thing; it's not a physical thing. I think it actually is physical, and you can see biblically that people do fast for healing. When David and Bathsheba conceived and had a child, that child got sick, and it was almost about—it was about to die. And what did David do in that time? He fasted. And he prayed for the recovery of the child. Now, the child did end up dying. That's not necessarily a success story. But you can see that in Scripture, there's a biblical precedent for fasting and praying for healing. Praying for physical recovery of human beings. Now, it might not be a sin issue. Because you remember, David and Bathsheba didn't conceive this child in the greatest situation. It was a little hairy. So it might not necessarily be a sin issue, though. It might be an effect of sin. People dealing with cancer. Where you can't necessarily draw a straight line and say it was this sin. You fast because you're experiencing this and you went breakthrough to get through that. I, I know this has happened in my own life. Most of you know the story of my father. He, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And there was prayer and fasting that uh, people participated, that I participated, people in this room participated. And during that season and God brought him through that. He got physical healing from it. Shelly isn't here this morning, but during Shelly's sickness, there was people in our family that fasted and prayed. And what happened to Shelly? She was in the ICU with double pneumonia with COVID, about to die. And something radically changed. I think that was an answer to prayer. I really do believe that the Lord was working in and through that and hearing the prayers of the saints on behalf of her through prayer and fasting. God uses fasting to bring spiritual breakthrough in the forms of healing that is physical. Now, there's a spiritual element to this as well. When the disciples were unable to cast out the demon, they asked Jesus why. Do you remember that story? They were trying to cast out this demon they said, we couldn't do it, and Jesus was like, you can't do it because of this. The, the, the this was because this time, this kind takes fasting and prayer. You needed to go take that extra step, that extra measure for that breakthrough, and then you might get that spiritual result. So. Uh, fasting for spiritual breakthrough is a legitimate means when it comes to healing. Now, another reason, uh, righteousness. Now, what do I mean by righteousness? Let me, let me just read a verse to you. Number one, uh, verse one opens this way, and I want you to hear it loud and clear. It's my job to say things like this loud and clear to you. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression. Church, you have transgression. I have transgression. And as a a person standing up here, a preacher of the word of God, we need to be thinking about that. That needs to be in our mind. Notice that this is how he opens up what he's talking about on fasting. Get it in your mind that we have transgressions. We as a church have sins that need to be dealt with. We aren't as righteous as we should be. We have issues. And the, 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 the prophet starts out this way because he needs people to humble themselves. Because when we're entering this prideful thinking that we got it all together, that we already have our lives oriented the way that we need to, that our spirituality is fit and we're fine, then we're not going to get any breakthrough. We have to humble ourselves, recognize that we are sinners, and we need to hear it loud and clear. That's why he says, raise up your voice like a trumpet. I should be screaming up here. I should be spitting up here, reminding ourselves that we need to humble ourselves. And through fasting, we can do that. It starts to bring up stuff in us, and we can see that more clearly. Now, Richard Foster writes this, and I, I think this is just a beautiful way of putting this when it comes to the discipline of fasting. He says, more than any discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Think about that. Fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what's inside of us with food and other good things. But fasting uses this to bring these things to the surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Now think about that. As we go through fasting, he goes on to say, don't let your hunger be an excuse for your bad behavior while fasting. Because as you enter into this, you're probably going to get a little bit fussy. We could rationalize our anger and rude behavior saying, I'm hangry. You ever heard that word before? I'm hangry. And what it really is, is just an excuse for our sin. I haven't eaten, so I have an excuse to be rude to you. I can be mean, I can be unkind, because I haven't eaten. That's not an excuse. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. So that came from your heart, not your gut. So don't don't say your stomach is speaking when Jesus says that's your filthy heart. You get that? Because that's the reality. Your, your stomach doesn't speak. Your heart does. It has fruits. And when you say those words, when you're hangry, that's your heart. Those are things that are surfacing in that time that you need to take care of. So you need to humble yourself and admit that the fruit of your lips reveals that things need to change internally. You might be a little bit sicker than you thought on your heart. And it's not a gut problem. It's, it's a heart problem. So this is precisely how fasting should work. You remove the veil of the outward to reveal the inward problem. The problem isn't that you need more ding-dongs to mask your unrighteousness. Right? That's, that's not the problem. You don't just need to feed it more. You need righteousness. You don't need donuts that are just band-aids to sins like anxiousness, stress, anxiety, self-hate. Right? That, all that is just, it's just covering up. When you just feed yourself the chocolate more and more. I know we just came out of Valentine's Day and you're probably still feasting on that. But the reality is that so many times we self-medicate with food and things like that. And fasting gives us the opportunity to say, actually, I think this is a deeper problem than just food. It's a deeper problem than just stress. Where's the stress coming from? It's probably a heart issue. It's probably something that needs addressed deeper down. Now, verse 9 says, If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, then the Lord will hear our prayers. In other words, this is the same concept that we talked about last week. Remember, when we talked about prayer, Psalm 66 says that if we harbor iniquity in in our hearts, the Lord will not have heard our prayer we deal with our wives in, in a, in a in not an understanding way, then our prayers can be hindered. It's the same concept with fasting. Sin clogs the pipes of our spiritual communication with God, and that's with all the spiritual disciplines. It's with meditation, it's with prayer, it's with fasting, it's with all of it. And we need to have a clear communication between us and God, and that comes through confessing our sins. We have transgressions. We have to lay those to the side if we're going to move forward. We can't go any forward uh, without laying those to the side. So quit saying you're just hangry and speaking wickedness. You aren't hangry. You're just a sinner. Right? That's the reality. You're not hangry. You're a sinner. Just confessing that is the removal of that yoke that it talks about in that passage. Lift that yoke. Just be honest with yourself. I'm a sinner. I have sin. I need healing. I need Jesus. I need God to do some work in my heart. So use fasting to kind of cut off the problem at its root. Because it's a root problem. It's a deep problem. And you can trust with that promise. It gives it right here. It says, The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. We might say in vulgar terms, God's going to have your butt, right? He's going to cover your behind. He's going to watch your back. God's watching out for you. When you humble yourself and come before him like that, he's going to take care of you. He's going to work it out. He's going to deal with those heart problems that you can't deal with on your own. Now, so righteousness, exaltation. We love exaltation, don't we? This is what we all want. We want to be exalted. But Jesus says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? There's a little bit of a process to go through that. You have to humble yourself before you will be exalted. And this is what it's saying in verse 10 and 11. It says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire, not of yourself, of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. So you see, the Lord is doing that. You're not satisfying your own desire. The Lord will then satisfy and fill up that empty space. It says, And satisfy your desire, and scorch places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Now, does that sound familiar? That water language that we've kind of been speaking about all along? The blessed man in Psalm 1, where we're like a tree planted by the waters, having deep roots. We want to be deep people. We're back at it again. fasting takes us to a deeper level of being a human. Meditation does the same thing. Prayer does the same same thing. The, The spiritual disciplines make us deep people. We don't want to be shallow people. We want to be deeply rooted, having a deep spirituality with our God and our Savior. We don't want to be surface Christians, just kind of saying Christianese things back to each other back and forth all the time and not ever going deep. We want those deep conversations that go into the wells of the heart where you're confessing your sins. You're saying to your brothers and your sisters, I have this issue. I've been dealing with this. I need it taken care of. Can you pray for me? Can we fast and we, can we pray together? Can we get this taken care of? That's the kind of depth that we need as Christians. And we're offered this in this passage. What's it say in verse 12? It says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Catch that. From ruins to being rebuilt. And you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Catch those rewords. Rebuilt. Repair. Restore. That sounds like our redeemer, doesn't it? This is what God does through fasting and prayer. He builds up, he restores. This 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 the reality of this is that fasting isn't the gospel, but God might use fasting in your gospel story. All right? I want you to hear that this morning that fasting isn't how you get saved, but God might use that in your pattern of sanctification, how he pulls you and draws you closer to himself. That might be through a pattern a, a life pattern, a life habit of fasting and prayer. What this shows us is that the power of God's redemption, his restoration, his reconciliation, his regeneration, all those re-words, those beautiful words, that power is God's power. And we are tapping into it. It's not us. You can't satisfy your own desires. It says that right in the text. You have to give up your own desires and then God will fill that back up. So we're tapping into something that only God can take or only God can do. But we're tapping into something that has great potent power. That, that little bit of power of God goes a really, really long way in your life. It has enough power to rebuild. Catch that, that that language of being rebuilt, taking ancient ruins of sin, and he rebuilds the foundations for future generations. That's beautiful language if you think about that. If you, have you ever felt like your whole life, you've just blown it? Some people don't feel like that, but there's many things where people can look back at their life. It depends on where you're at with the Lord, but you can look back at your life and say, this is ruins, This is sin, and I don't know what to do with this. I can't fix this. That's actually a good place to be in. It's a a good place to be able to look at that and say, transgression, sin, ruin. It's a disaster. It looks bad, but there's good news for you. If If you look at that and see that, that's a good place to start, because you can see that and then see the good news of the gospel, that God is a restorer of that. He says he can fix that. God promises that if you humble yourself and approach him in faith, these foundations can be restored. Think about that. From the very bottom, the foundations. Think of the foundations of the heart. This isn't just putting new shingles on a roof. This is bottom up. This is foundations being restored. It says you can be the restorer of streets to dwell in. You can be the one person in your family that turns it all around. Think about that. Think about family lines and the way that generations go on with Christianity and how they worship God. I've seen this happen in my own family. Uh, My grandma and I, we were talking about this earlier this week. My granny, my great-grandmother on my father's side came from absolute ruins. It was a nasty situation. She had family in the Charlie Burger gang. You've probably heard of them before in Harrisburg. Nasty people. Uh, These guys were getting shot and killed in poker games. Uh, They came from bootleggers. She came from hiding beer and wash ponds behind the house. They were alcoholics passing out on train tracks, getting ran over by trains and dying. It was just a disaster. Ancient ruins crumbles it was a not good situation that's where she came from it was the lowest of the low but granny humbled herself she looked around and said this life it's not worth living like this there's got to be something else there's another way to live and she looked at that and she says I, i'm not going to do that she could have looked around and pointed fingers and said i'm like this because of them that's what we do don't we so often we say well i just act this way because of this i'm hangry Right? That, that's what that is. That's, that's just another form of hangry, blaming our issues on other people. But we have the opportunity in life to actually turn. This is what granny did. She didn't stay there. She came to God, and he restored the ancient ruins her family, of her family and rebuilt from the foundations. It took this one person to change everything, and that just continued to snowball and cycle and get better and better, all because of the restorative power of the gospel. That can be your story. If you were that broken person, that broken family, it only takes one person for things to turn completely around. She went from having gangster family in the streets, haunting people, taunting people, being bootleggers, to being able to say confidently. And she could say this if she were here today, that she is the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Her streets are safe. And it's, it's because of the restorative power of God. You can say that. I can say that. I can say to my family because of this one person. So you need to realize that church is a good reason to fast. That when we come to God, he can restore and takes that ancient ruins that we could not fix. There's no way Granny could have got, got out of that on her own. It took the power of God. But God works very powerfully building from the bottom up. He restores even the future generations, it says. It trickles down. It snowballs and gets bigger and bigger. So there's, there's more of the spiritual side of things, but for those of you who have never fasted, who fasting is pretty new to you, you might say, well, how do I do this? Practically, what does this look like? And I, I wanna just break it down and give some real practical th- ways to think about this. You can fast individually, Or you can fast corporately. Those are the two main ways. And if you think about fasting individually, you can look at Scripture and you honestly won't find a ton of examples of individuals fasting. You'll see Jesus, who we talked about. You'll see Daniel. You'll see Anna and a couple others. But overwhelmingly what you see is corporate fasts. The, the body of Christ coming together, the people of God coming together and fasting as one unified people. They're coming in with the big guns. They get all the people who say, we're going to consecrate a solemn fast. you probably heard that over and over in scripture. Consecrate a solemn fast. And that's where the, the national leaders, the religious leaders would come and say, we're going to make breakthrough here. We're going to get something done. You can think about Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall, that great project. They said, we're going to pray and we're going to fast about this and we're going to see breakthrough." Now, you can even do this in a kind of a more secular setting, too. You might think about the United States. Do you realize that we could call a solemn assembly of the United States? President Joe Biden could do it today if he wanted. I don't think it's going to happen, but he could do it today if he wanted. The last time that the United States called this, what do you think it was? How long ago do you think it was? It was a while. It was 1918 when Woodrow Wilson called a solemn fast for the ending of the first great war. He says it's not looking good. We want to pray about this. We want to call the nation to a solemn fast and prayer. And he did that on May 11th and exactly seven months later. I think that's interesting. That number seven in the Bible is very important. It's completion. It's this day of rest. It's cessation from work this, this fulfillment period, exactly seven months later on November 11th, it started on May 11th, and November 11th, 1918, the First World War ended. I think God answers prayer and fasting. I think he responds to that. I think there's a real sense in which prayer and fasting paired together. We bring these as the people of God. We can see spiritual breakthrough. That's one of the ways you see this in Scripture. National leaders coming together, praying. Maybe we need to do that as a country. Maybe we need to do that as a church. Maybe we need to do that to to see revival in our land. If we want to see change, maybe we need to take some action. Maybe we need to consecrate a solemn fast. This is what we see scripturally happens. They call a fast and then God works. But so often we just kind of throw it off because we want to be materialistic. We want to feed ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. We want to satisfy our own desires. We don't want to let God satisfy our desires. We want to do it ourselves because we think we got it all figured out. So we can call a solemn fast for the nation. There's also other ways of fasting. There's mourning for the loss of loved ones. You've seen this before in Scripture where someone passes away. That's a good time to mourn and fast and pray with them. Set something aside. Pray for the family. Be with them. Uh, You see God, uh, uh, people pleading to God to work powerfully in a grim situation. You think of Esther calling the fast. You want to see something great turned around? Call that fast. So we see God works in that way. Now, God works in other ways, too. There's kind of cyclical and seasonal fasts that you see the church has participated out uh, in throughout history. Uh, some churches in our region do this. Every year in January, at the beginning of the year, they start a 21-day fast. So the church comes together, they say, we're going to fast, we're going to pray, we're going to set time aside, and we as a church are going to pray for spiritual breakthrough. That's a good, healthy season. But the main thing that I really wanted you to, guys to get prepared for, and I wanted to preach this sermon before we got there, is Lent. I don't know if you've Heard of Lent before? Lent is something that the church has participated in for thousands, literally thousands of years. It's this season of the church where they all come, the church corporately, the church Catholic, that's lowercase c, the universal church, people all around the world come unite and pray and fast together. Lent is a 40 day fast that mirrors the 40 day fast in Scripture, just as Moses fasted for 40 days. Remember when he did that? Moses fasted 40 days, the people of 40 days and 40 nights, and the people did as well. Jonah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then Elijah fasted for 40 days, Jesus fasted for 40 days. So there must be something going on in Scripture where we see this pattern of 40 days. There must be something powerful about doing that, and the church did this in 325 A.D., a long time ago. Think about 325 A.D. The church organized a global fast where all Christians would fast for the 40 days leading up to the Feast of Easter. That day where the breakthrough happens. That's that's what Easter is all about, isn't it? That resurrection power of Jesus. Where we celebrate what Jesus has done. How he raises the dead. You take a grim situation and Jesus rises it up. He fixes it. He heals the bones. He, he restores all of that. So what we can do as a church is enter into that with the church that has always done that. The, the global Catholic church. We enter into the season of Lent that begins on Ash Wednesday on March 2nd. And ends on Easter which is April 17th. Now, if anyone whipped their phones out, they were probably looking through that, and they're marking those dates, and they're going to say, Hey, wait a second. That's 46 days. That's not 40 days. So you might be wondering, why, why 46 days? Well, those six days are actually Sundays. Historically, the church hasn't fasted on Sunday. Why not fast on Sunday? Well, Sunday's the Lord's Day. And you've probably seen that passage in Scripture before that's a little bit puzzling, where Jesus says, When the bridegroom's with us, we don't fast. When we're here in the presence of the Lord here on Sunday, we're not fasting. We're feasting. We feast on Jesus every single Sunday. And we come to the Lord uh, to the Lord's word, which is our true bread. We're feasting on that. We feast on the Lord in communion. We take of his body and his blood. We feast on Sunday. So the church historically has actually said every Sunday is a, fe- a feast day. We celebrate on Sunday. Sunday's party day. The rest of the week, we fast. And we consecrate a solemn fast for breakthrough. And why not join the church in that? I I guarantee if you're looking for a day to fast, if fasting hasn't been your practice, why not join in on the day when there's going to be more Christians than any other day of the year fasting? Why not join in on that day? Because I can guarantee you that on Lent, there's going to be more Christians all around the world fasting and praying for the Lord to work powerfully through that season. It's a great opportunity to join with the church, being one voice, praying to God, Lord, we want breakthrough. We want revival in our land. We want things to change. We want you to work powerfully. So it's a great opportunity to jump into the historic church of doing that. And if you want to talk more about it, talk to me after service. I don't want to just talk about Lent the whole time. But I'd love to speak to you, how you can participate that. in that. Me and my family, we do it. It's a, it's a great practice, I think. But... If you do it, there's got to be warnings before you do it, before you do any fasting, not just Lent. That's what I said will be the last part here, the warnings about fasting. Jesus says very simply, don't be a hypocrite. That's what he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And it's a lot easier said than done. We have all fallen into it in some way or another. We've all been Pharisees in our story. We don't like to admit it, but the reality is is that we have been Pharisees at some times. We have been hypocrites. Now he says instead of looking like you're probably feeling, which is going to be gloomy, It's going to be hungry. It's going to be tired because if you fasted before, you understand this. You don't feel good. It really doesn't feel good physically. It might feel good spiritually, but you're not going to feel too hot. But he says when you do this, he says don't act like you feel like that. He says wash your face, clean yourself up, and don't let anyone know this. Do it in secret. Just like when you're praying, don't take your prayers out in the, the highways and the byways and say the, the, these, the that vows, and saying these fancy prayers and all these big words. Don't do that with fasting either. Just like he says, go in the closet with fasting. Do this – or go, go in the prayer with prayer. Go in the closet with prayer. Goodness. Go in the closet with fasting. Do the same thing. Only God needs to see that because ultimately your fast is between you and God. It's not between you and others. And people fall into this very easily. During fasting seasons, people can start to talk about uh, fasting like it's just another Facebook topic. Like you're just talking about it. How's your fast going? How's my fast going? And you're just talking about, oh, I'm so hungry. I wish I could eat today. And you're going on and on and on. And you're just slowly moving further and further away from where you should be, which is close communion with God and that secret hiding place. It's easy to fall into. I've fallen into. Other people have fallen into it. And you can see it when people enter these cyclical seasons of fasting. You can just watch. These people who are fasting, within a couple minutes, it's going to get brought up in the conversation. You're going to talk to them and they're going to bring up fasting. Don't be that person. Be the person that resists that and says, I'm going to make my face happy looking. I'm not going to look gloomy. I'm not going to look like the hypocrites and say, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so tired. I've been fasting for 38 days. No, no. no. You need to be like Jesus who's full of the spirit. He's not talking about how tired he is. He's saying, I'm strong. I'm staying at it. I'm firm. So, When we're fasting, we need to be like Jesus when he was out in the wilderness. So, also, don't just fast. Look with me at verse 3. It says, Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So when you fast, don't just fast. You have work to do in that time. Use that as an opportunity to care for others. This is the same principle as prayer. Just like your prayers could be hindered and rejected, so can our fasting. You can do it all for nothing. If you just don't eat and don't fill that time with prayer, connection with God, caring for the poor, caring for the sick, doing all those things that are or the proper and the right, acceptable fast, as Isaiah 58 says, it's useless. You're just making yourself hungry. You're just whipping yourself, right? That's what it really boils down to. You need to get to the redemptive side of things, the disciplined side of things. You're not just exhausting yourself. You're building up your inner man. You're making yourself strong. You're intentional about what you're doing. Verse 6 and 7 gives us the acceptable fast. What are we to do in this season? Verse 6 and 7 says this. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from indulging in your own flesh? In other words, this is your prescription for fasting. How do you do it? What do you do in that time? Fill that time up with time to care for others. You're pouring yourself out. That's the whole point. What this all really boils down to is the heart. Where is your heart at through it? We empty our physical bellies in order to fill our spiritual ones. Oh, you've probably heard that before. Or in Scripture, it talks about the the belly. In the King James, a lot of the newer translations, they change that to heart. The concept is the same. We, fill, we empty out our physical bellies in order to fill up our spiritual ones. Jesus, when he was tempted at the end of his fast, says that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's talking about scripture. He's talking about what God says. And in John 4, after his disciples return from town to get food, remember that story where Jesus is at the well with that woman, and the disciples go off, and he's having that conversation there with her, and then they come back. They say, Rabbi, eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Interesting. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought food for him to eat? Who who gave this guy food? I didn't give him food. Did you give him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Think about that. Pair these things together, these two instances, we can see that Jesus was most spiritually full when he was emptying himself out and filled with God's word and doing what God said. This is Jesus' example to us to pour ourselves out just like he did. Just like it says in Isaiah 58, 10. It says this, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. As you pour yourself up out, God's going to pour you up. As you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, God's going to fill you back up. That's a promise. You can have your light rise in the darkness, your gloom be as the noonday. Now, I believe it's saying that we should not just pour ourselves out in fasting, but we should fill our, our neighbors up. Think about that. In your time of fasting, you can use that food that you are going to eat and give it to someone else, literally. Take your physical food that was on your plate and give it to someone else. The money that you were going to spend on that, you could spend on the poor. Use that time to volunteer in food pantries, things like that, to pour yourself out. Use that time as a time to pour yourself out into others. And it says that God will fill you up in the process of that. He's going to give you that, that spiritual sustenance that you need, and he's going to he, says he promises to fill us up spiritually as well. Verse eleven says, "God will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You pour out and fill them up, and God fills you up, ready. Or, and God fills you up to be ready to pour out on me again. It's a cycle of grace. If you think about it like that." Here's you. You pour yourself on on someone else, and God fills you back up. You pour out, and you pour out, and you pour out, and God fills you back up so that you can keep giving grace to other people. Don't sit on yesterday's bread. Pour it out. Give to God what God has given to you, and he's going to fill you back up. That's how it works. That's how spirituality works in the Christian life. You have to pour yourself out if you want to be filled back up. And that's what we do through fasting. We pour ourselves out. So, church, I implore you to adopt the mindset of Christ, of Jesus even if you don't feel that your stomach could align with Jesus, here we can begin to approach him with a faith that says, I at least want that. right?" Can you look at Jesus and say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be that kind of person that pours himself out. I want to be the kind of person that when people say to me, are you hungry? Have you ate anything? I say, I'm not hungry. I'm filled. I'm full. I'm full of the Spirit. So when you're going through your fasting season and people are asking you and you wonder, what should I say? Should I say I'm fasting? You have an answer. Jesus had an answer. He says, I have food that you don't know about. And I think that we can literally have that kind of mentality as we live in our lives and we go about our fasting. That's always the question, what do I say if someone offers me food? Just say that you've got food, you're filled, that the Lord has taken care of you, that you are spiritually fuller than you've ever been right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about how we should navigate.